Hey everybody, you're very welcome back to the Odyssey Podcast. This is episode number 36 or 37. Uh, I'm not joined as always by Mr. Adam Phillips. He's off on holidays in Turkey. Instead, today I'm joined by... Now this actually, I was only thinking about this yesterday when I was like, how am I going to intro you? Because this is a common thing in powerlifting. You know three people through Instagram and so you can often take their Instagram handle as their name. And I the first time I kind of recognized this was in chaos years ago when Scott Dean's name on Instagram was Harry Squatter and there was a potential (laughs) client came into the gym and was chatting to Scott for like a couple of minutes and then said all right thanks very much Harry and we all just kind of looked at each other like who the fuck is Harry so anyway Raquel Ria although Ria is not your surname right no it's a bit it's, it's a bit convoluted yeah so what's your name? <laughs> My name's Raquel Neliri, um, but that's a bit of a mouthful, so like it's not very SEO friendly. So when I was like picking my business name, I was like, okay, we need to um, figure out something people can actually type into Google and find my website. That's fair. No, and it's it's it's, it's my quite name, unique, and it sounds like it could be Spanish. I have no idea what it is, but judging by the accent, it's absolutely not. You actually won a contest recently. On Instagram, that you have the poshest accent in Irish powerlifting. So congratulations! I was hard <laughs> done by it's definitely Andrew, not me. It's it's, it's controversial, okay. Andrew Rowe is definitely up there. But anyway, Raquel, how did you get into to powerlifting? Because you've quite an interesting backstory, and I think one that a lot more people than you might think might relate to. So because because you didn't have the most athletic backgrounds, so I hope you don't mind me saying that. <laughs> yeah, no, uh, definitely wasn't the sportiest kid. I won't lie. Like I was. Uh, probably bottom tier in terms of (laughs) athleticism like I guess I was like never like particularly unfit like I always was like in good shape from like a cardiovascular perspective like I was like out doing hikes or whatever on the weekend like my mom would bring me but like from a coordination and like ability to participate in PE without getting bullied for being so shit um, I was definitely bottom tier for sure um so sports for me has definitely been a little bit of a journey like I started cross country when I was 12 like that was my first sport and like it was fantastic because you need absolutely zero coordination just sheer force of will and ability to endure pain of which I have plenty (laughs) um but yeah so I did that for pretty much all of my school years I did a bit of like track like middle distance like couldn't get me to do anything shorter than 1500 meter and just again was not like agile enough fair enough um But uh, yeah, then when I left school, like I kind of just, I distanced myself from running, no pun intended, Uh, (laughs) because I just didn't have the healthiest relationship with it. Like I had a, an eating disorder when I was a teenager and for me, like running while it was really positive for me in a lot of ways, like it was very interwoven with that time in my life and I needed a form of physical activity that was something that I could separate from that and Mm. I suppose I got introduced to lifting weights by um, my boyfriend at the time which is I think pretty much how most women would get into lifting weights circa nearly 10 years ago that's quite a while ago that I started lifting weights eight to be exact um so yeah he got me into that because I needed a new physical outlet and I think I went into this on like Ian's podcast a bit but basically like I had a series of experiences while traveling that led me to believe that being feeble as a woman was not acceptable um, and you needed to also be physically confident and strong in the way that men are encouraged to be um so after that like I was like okay like I gotta get strong and confident and I started lifting weights 
and I suppose about two or three years into that I encountered powerlifting style training um through another boyfriend different to the first one um he introduced me to 531 and I would do 531 but I'd always skip the one because I was scared of singles fair and I can't follow plans in a structured manner like I always just had to do my own thing you know and like couldn't follow any like top-down approaches I was just like but why do I have to do the one I could just do the five and the three because that's the bit I like that's fair yeah no that's that's I, I totally get that it's no carry on because there's a load of things already there that I'd love to to pick at and expand upon and I think this is a recurrent theme in our conversations that they are so tangential so let's let's get back to it I know so you you were experience you started to get some experience in terms of lifting weights and the programs that you were exposed to caused you to start kind of questioning why behind everyone does all these things yeah so um at that point like I started to follow a couple of powerlifters on Instagram and I was like oh like this looks kind of cool like maybe I could do this like I'm a naturally quite competitive person so obviously I looked up all of the records which at the time were like way lower than they are now and mm. I was like yeah I could totally do that like even though I probably couldn't have at the time even with the records being lower than they are now and I actually even I don't think I've ever said this like to any of you guys before but I actually had I went to abs and I had like a meeting to see if um, I could join up with a club and then I realized that sports actually cost money because the only sport I'd ever done was like free running through school and like the GAA which is heavily subsidized and I was like okay I don't have the money for this fair yeah I was too busy using all of the money to um, do competitive debating so travel to different universities and argue with people for medals um <laughs> Very good, very appropriate in Irish powerlifting now. Maybe not today. A couple of years ago, God, you would have fit right in. There was there was plenty of online arguments, but um, so you kind of it seems like that was your kind of avenue into coaching. As you said, you had a couple of experiences traveling. You said it highlighted the importance of lifting weights and maybe some innate curiosity started that kind of okay. Like, there's there's something to this, and you're kind of figuring out. And and Adam and I always talk about this in terms of the way we program as well. It feels very very creative. It's so bottoms up, and you're you're looking at solving problems and working with individuals it's incredibly heterogeneous so there's that creativity aspect to it which i for some reason i imagine that calls to you as well is that kind of how you got interested in pursuing coaching as a as a business or as a career i should say so in terms of how i ended up getting into coaching so i actually studied biochemistry in college um i've always really loved like figuring out like the how and why behind things um and science really appealed to me in that regard but pretty early on into my degree I realized I did not want to work in a lab like it just was not for me so I started to pursue potential other careers that you could get with like an undergrad of any sort so I tried doing a management consulting internship which was very much not for me like that was the point where I realized I definitely wasn't going to be able to have a conventional office job and be happy as a person so Mm. like much as I did not enjoy that internship at all it was a pivotal point in me realizing I was going to have to think outside the box in order to be satisfied in my career um so at that point I was really really racking the brains I was going into fourth year I was like what are we gonna do after college and I started to try and piece together all the different things that made me feel satisfied when I worked so I I knew I loved helping people like at that point I was already like bringing random friends to the gym who wanted to learn how to lift weights because like you know if you're a guy you're probably going to have like 10 different friends who could bring you to the gym to learn how to lift weights but if you're a girl like 
at that point in time you probably only knew one girl and like amongst my friends that girl was me so yeah, yeah. I had realized I really loved doing that like I was doing it for free already quite frequently with friends um I realized I still loved learning about technical things like technical scientific concepts but the thing that was really important to me was applying them in real time rather than it just being book learning um I realized that I needed creativity in my work um and I realized that I needed there to be a certain practical and hands-on element so and also that my work needed to be quite varied um and I don't know like I don't remember I wish I could pinpoint the exact moment when I had this brainwave where I was like coaching like and personal training is obviously the answer to this but I can't um but it must have been somewhere in semester one of fourth year that I finally figured this out because I started doing my personal training diploma at the same time as also being in fourth year and I ended up doing the Satanta College one which is like quite essays driven so that was certainly a choice to be doing that in fourth year Mm. um alongside everything else but yeah that was when I kind of figured it out but in the back of my head I still was like okay this is something I'm gonna do it's something I'm gonna do long term um but I'm gonna spend like a year or two working something like more practical or more corporate in order to build up some financial reserves to like fully take it off the ground but that ended up getting then like fast-tracked by COVID because the economy was so terrible when I graduated that I was like okay well I might as well just start doing this now definitely yeah and is that so I'm, I'm not sure what the timeline is like on you work because you work in a gym in person as well now was that when that that kind of started and I, I, I only kind of touch on this because it's this is a conversation you and I have had a couple of times about the actual financial reality of being a coach never mind being an online coach never mind being an online powerlifting coach although that's a, a label I'm, I'm not going to put on you just yet so was that when you started working in a gym as well ba- basically full-time part-time basically full-time yeah so to kind of get a little bit more detail when I graduated I had already kind of started doing a little bit of online coaching like technically I've actually been online coaching for four years because I started like really slowly in the background like basically the moment I started my diploma I took on one person for like basically free because I was like I need to practice Mm. um so in terms of the amount of time I've been doing it I've been doing it for quite a while but I would consider my um my starting full-time in the industry was August three years ago because that was when I got a part-time job working in person in a gym different gym to the one that I work in now and at that point like 100% of my income was coming from personal training because like a good amount was coming from online coaching business and then the other amount was coming from my like quote-unquote day job but really it was more of a night job because evening shifts oh I love it yeah so that would be kind of the point where I would consider that I entered like full-time into the industry and since then I actually haven't had any income sources that were not personal training related so I yeah I'd say I've been like a full-time coach um for three years now that's really cool no it's (coughs) it's, there's an awful lot of coaches I think people would be surprised at this there's an awful lot of coaches even now in in Irish powerlifting in, in everywhere who have other income streams that aren't related to coaching like I'm I'm an environmental consultant nine to five people don't seem seem to to know that about me but it's and I'm kind of going two ways with this like there yes there is I think a huge financial incentive to having another option but where I, I this conversation is kind of is going to me 
you started online coaching effectively first. Is that right? Would you say that before you were you were in person? I know you said you were bringing friends to the gym, and I think most of the people, if you regularly participate in resistance training, you've been the person to bring your mate into the gym and to show them a few bits. I think that's an experience that's that's kind of everyone does. It's nearly like the gym is a pyramid scheme. Like one person gets you in, and then you get a couple of other people in, and this and that. But do you think? online coaches should start off in person I, f- I do feel like they they should I'm gonna go out there and this is my take that if you have aspirations to become an online coach you should be working with people in person first it's it's very tough in my mind to get the necessary experience just online like even with if you're incredibly experienced training yourself I, I feel it's imp- inappropriate to just go straight to online coaching as accessible as it is and as attractive as it may seem on the outside what do you have any hot take on that yeah so like technically i probably did start out online but that was not to completely at you there <laughs> no it's okay you can at me like i'm happy to be at it um we're here for the spicy conversation you know sure, that's why you invited yeah. me um but what was i gonna say so the first I, I did take somebody in person like very much on the down low like I was in UCD and like I had access to the UCD gym and one of my friends I was like she actually ended up being my business coach at the end but um so that that just goes to show like the Fair, yeah. the value of putting down these seeds like the same way like you and Adam like it all started with Adam like telling you not to talk yourself and now you Basically, guys have got this really yeah. cool thing going so you never know what something's gonna bloom into but um I did technically start like mostly with online clients but I asked my friend could I practice on her so <laughs> that, that sounded way worse that sounds terrible, that sounds yeah. terrible. can I practice PTing on her right yeah so I was like I'm gonna bring you to the gym twice a week and like we have to look like we're uh, just training together not like I'm PTing you because I'm not insured in this college gym but um we're just gonna like make sure that I like I was so adamant that by the time I came out of my diploma like I would actually have practical hands-on skills with coaching people because I think like so many people do their diploma and then they're like okay like open for online coaching now and it's like but like do you have any experience no they don't yeah and that's I think that's a separate very important conversation yeah. but but yeah totally no I, I don't feel you have any you don't know anything when you when you finish your personal training cert I was super upfront with anyone I took on I was like look I'm still doing my diploma like this is this is gonna be free like this is so that like both of us can learn and like realistically like there's no big difference between that and like the situation where I was bringing my friends to the gym it was just a bit more structured and intentional um and then I guess uh, the reason as to why I started online coaching first I guess it was or like predominantly online coaching first was just the opportunity kind of presented itself like I got that first client and I think I was charging them like 40 euros a month or something like that and like I was the perfect coach for them like I I, they didn't really need a high, t- high technical standard of information they were just like somebody who just wanted to do some like very very basic resistance training workouts they'd never lifted before like they didn't need somebody who was like the fanciest flashiest coach with the best system they just needed someone who kind of got their personality totally um but like with that being said that was why I got a job in person in a gym was because I was well aware that in like that time where I hadn't had I, d- I didn't have the opportunity to be training people in person for money in a gym because like I was in final year of my degree I had a job I had another competitive hobby I was trying to do my own training like there was no time in my schedule to like also take up a job in a gym where I'd be insured to train people in person yeah so it just simply wasn't feasible for me at that point in time um but 
once I decided that this is something I definitely wanted to do as a career because at that point I was still undecided these are just some people that I was coaching for very very cheap on the internet like so it was grand it was mutually beneficial at the point where I was like now we're going all in on this I was like I need this in personal in this in-person experience so um I got a job in the gym to fill that hole because I definitely agree that it is really important to have that hands-on in-person experience absolutely no totally yeah absolutely agree there so so now and I said earlier on I wasn't going to label you as a powerlifting coach although I think it's becoming increasingly appropriate this is a bit of a loaded question how did you become a powerlifting coach yeah, because I get this fucking question all the time and I have a very curt answer so I'm wondering what your answer is what's your answer first you go first uh, how I became a powerlifting coach is I typed it into my Instagram bio <laughs> and that's it there, there's no qualifications and this is, seems to be this has always been a theme in terms of personal training or in terms of online coaching is that there is a very very low barrier to entry and even towards in person personal training and working in gyms the qualifying criteria yeah I said they're, they're quite poor but the actual certs to get qualified are a bit of a sham yeah now I agree it's tough to instill all the kind of lessons learned and all the different complexities that comes with working with general population into a six week course an eight week course how long was your course with Satanta? nine months what <laughs> yeah that's what I said I was. I said it was a choice to do that course like yeah. I had to write like essays like I remember being dramatic and being like guys I'm doing two courses at once and my friends were like ah come on Raquel you're just doing a PT cert and I was like it's not any PT cert I have to write essays it's Satanta college it's, it's, to be fair right like there are like I can make criticisms of the material but in terms of like the essay writing standard they expected of you like they expected a college level essay so this is with this referencing might sound, and stuff like fair enough yeah this might sound very silly of me. So I know people who did personal training certs that were took a long time in UCD. And I know Satanta College is a separate thing. Is that... Is, separate, was your, yeah, separate okay, UCD. so this was in based in Tipperary, is it? Yeah. That oh, okay, one, yeah, fair yeah. enough. Because there is an academy in UCD. In UCD yeah. And I was just going to say, uh, sorry, I think you got scammed when you were getting your PT cert. Because the, the course I, yeah. that I did was six weeks. And they purport that as the best in the country. I'm not going to, to name names. So Adam did the same one. I know I feel like there's some that you can do a weekend course and if you're listening to this and for some reason over the last 10 minutes you still think that you want to do this because I did not paint a very pretty picture and just get the cheapest quickest course because your qualification is the same and you'll know nothing afterwards anyway I agree no I agree 100% like if I could go back I would definitely do one that was like less intensive um because you're gonna learn everything that you need to know through like doing extra courses that are like more specific to your needs as a coach and mm. also through being on the job like I yeah I 100% or just agree. chatting like I think powerlifting has even if you're not a powerlifting coach or you're not competing in powerlifting I think if you're a prospective personal trainer or online coach going to these competitions is a very valuable thing to yep. chat to people because you, you know like we, we chat ages and chat to everybody at these competitions because you you have every coach in the country effectively in powerlifting in a small room at the same time chatting or even at the afters at afterwards um that's where you learn most everything is just chatting to these other coaches but no i agree these kind of extra courses is where you learn everything so no it's it's, it's funny and it's a bit of a slap in the face though isn't it but i feel like it's something that every coach has to kind of go through it or it's kind of realizing that your learning is never finished and you never quite know enough 
I don't know. Maybe that's maybe that's a silly thing to be saying, but yeah. So so how did you start into powerlifting coaching? Because it seems like early on you had a bit of an exposure to what powerlifting was, and it's so connect the dots there for me. Yeah. So it went from five three one to be to be coaching powerlifters to have to having more powerlifting clients than general pop clients at the moment. Yeah, at is that point, is that yeah. right? That's pretty business, crazy because yeah. you're still there's a couple of things that I'd love to touch on at this podcast is your lack of affiliation to any major club which I think is a really strong point for you and the fact that you still kind of resist the label of a powerlifting coach so anyway yeah tangential as, as hell how did you start powerlifting coaching then or when did you first get people competing so I did my first competition myself um about a year and a half ago so it was last chance in 2021 was my first competition and I started with my coach Shane Story um about six months before that so I started with him when like the last lockdown ended so like that summer um and at that point like I had an established base of gem pop clients and I think it was about in and around maybe one year maybe like a little bit less than eight eight to twelve months after I'd started with Shane so obviously like I was putting all my training on Instagram like I would have put my first competition on Instagram um one of my clients was really like flourishing in their squat bench and deadlift training and I was like would you ever do a competition because they just seemed to really be loving that um and they were like yeah no I'd actually love to do a competition like now that you mention it so she was the first one and then it like they were all all my first clients were actually just gem pop clients that I already had who were like behind the scenes just taking an interest in my training so the second person was another one of my clients um who I'd actually known before I started coaching them they came to my second competition in April to support me um and they were like wow I just felt so inspired by the diversity of different body types and ages who were participating in this sport and it made me really realize that maybe I could actually also do this and I was like you could 100% nice do this like let's let's fucking go like <laughs> Um, and then I, I don't know was the last one was he before her or vice versa but they're I think they're roughly around the same time uh, he was like on his fitness journey and like really starting to love the gym and everything that was bringing his life but he was feeling like this deficit socially because nobody that he um nobody that he knew in his personal life was as interested in fitness as he was so he was on this journey and he felt like he had nobody to share it with and like I was always talking about the community aspect of powerlifting and he was like is that something I could do I'd love to make more friends who are also interested in lifting and just he'd done like a body composition uh, or he'd done some like body recomposition where he was like really really happy with and he was kind of like what's next like what's something I could aim for next now that I've done this and so then I was like well of course you can do it too (laughs) and then um yeah it just kind of grew from there like it started with those three and we're now at 10 which is nuts considering like that was only a year ago um and it just feels like it's becoming like a little bit of like a family now like especially at May Open just there in Belfast like I saw my lifters like become like a little family like who showed up for each other who like you know somebody's like deadlift socks were like high enough so I was like guys can somebody bring them some socks or like somebody didn't have water or jellies and they were all just like running around after looking after each other like hyping each other up and like that was something like I'd always like 
oh, I'm going to use such like a such a dramatic word here, but like yearned for was to be able to create a sense of community because something I'm really passionate about is the fact that our interconnectedness and our, our feeling of being embedded in society is dissipating in like this modern world. Like we're becoming more and more connected by technology, but we're becoming more and more disconnected physically, I think. And I think that like or something that I'd always wanted was like somewhere where people could just come together put their differences aside and just do something together as humans and support each other just solely because they like the same silly thing and I think that's what sports does but I think uniquely it's something that powerlifting is so good at doing because because of how accessible it is so um that's what I kind of have my my eyes set on now is like creating like a family of powerlifters totally no that sounds amazing and it's kind of clear as day to see that 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 is the way it is I, I spent a lot of time with your athletes there at, at may and it was it was such a wholesome kind of moment because it's this is is something Adam and i touch on all the time is that it is incredibly accessible and it doesn't matter what kind of level you're at or what kind of experience that you have it feels like a bit of an in-betweeners of kind of sports it's anyone anyone can rock up and anyone can do it and the shared experience kind of connects across ages and abilities so that's it is super inspiring to see and that's kind of seems to be not your niche of programming but it, it certainly seems to be at the heart of your philosophy for coaching is that this is accessible this is for everyone and it's sustainable as well there's something you touched on very briefly there was somebody was succeeding in their squat bench and deadlift part of their training it didn't encompass all of their training i know it's something that we were discussing right before the podcast so you're not necessarily training people as powerlifting as powerlifters i should say but powerlifting maybe takes up a bit of their a bit of their training yeah i guess it it depends what you would consider training someone to be a powerlifter like i train people to be the happiest healthiest most well-rounded individuals that they can be and to grow as people and for me like powerlifting is a huge part of the piece of that puzzle but like I will never push performance over and above somebody's like overall relationship with training and it's really important to me that they identify as somebody who trains rather than somebody who is a powerlifter because I think the idea of adopting an identity is first and foremost a powerlifter rather than an active person and I'm not against having the identity of powerlifter but I mean that being like your sole identity or your primary identity as somebody who exercises is dangerous because like a lot of us will encounter uh, injury or how you how you like to term it pain experience um but we just we'll use the colloquialism just so people know what you're talking about yeah we don't use the i word in here the i word <laughs> um but yeah so a lot of people will encounter like i won't even say i won't even limit it to just pain experiences and injuries but like any kind of barrier that stops them from engaging with training in a way that allows them to like progress significantly within powerlifting because as we all know it can be quite a time consuming sport especially as you get more into like the intermediate ranks um what is required of you time wise in order to progress like it can become quite a lot and like for numerous reasons whether it's like work stress or like just wanting like other areas like your family life maybe to take priority there will come times where your SPD total stops progressing or like it pauses temporarily and I think if your identity is too tied to being somebody who's like progressing within powerlifting and that being like your you know sole focus as a trainee it means that like 
you can be left feeling a bit like purposeless or lost during those periods and Mm. what I really want is for people to have the longest lasting relationship with training so I'd be a big advocate for say like post comp doing like quite a non-specific block like most of my lifters will do um a four to six week block where they have like SPD in like max once per week um and I guess a big part of that for me is like preserving their love of the sport and also like extending their sense of identity as somebody who exercises beyond totally yeah just powerlifting and I have I found that to be really effective like from a performance standpoint as well like absence makes the heart grow fonder and (laughs) when you take out like you know the end of a peak and you're like I fucking hate SVD, man. Like, uh, if yeah. I have to arch revenge one more time, like, I will throw a rock at somebody. Like, um, and when you get to that point, like, if you don't allow yourself to like mentally decompress, you run the risk of burning yourself out. In my opinion, so I very much see it as like taking one step back so you can take two steps forward. Um, so yeah, but that like, in I definitely would consider myself to be somebody who coaches powerlifting, but I'm hesitant to narrow myself down to simply just being a powerlifting coach because I think there's a lot more to what I do in my coaching than just that like I'd have some lifters who are working on their relationship with food but then also like working towards a powerlifting competition I often think that these things go hand in hand like I've seen so many people like their relationship with their with food and body has been helped so much by powerlifting because it gives them something to focus on outside of just like what do I look like um and yeah I think that these things can be really complimentary totally yeah no it's and and that's something I felt for a long time maybe without putting the label on it or not being able to express it in words is that it, it's you're kind of giving somebody a more robust identity or you're fa- you're facilitating the, kind of the growth of this feature of their lives as opposed to you're a powerlifter now and it's that can be intense and that can be great and you can see great progress progress especially as a beginner but when people put all their eggs in one basket and they they reach a stage where they're like fuck this like what am i doing i'm a mug here like sweating over kilos to do nothing in the gym and and people can get burnt out very quickly i think especially juniors and we've seen this kind of repeat occurrence of, of very very high level juniors who put put everything then into into their training and kind of sacrifice their social life or sacrifice other athletic abilities let's just say and get to a stage very early on that they're like fuck i don't want to do this and it's it doesn't have to be all or nothing and i feel like if you took a step back and were were a little bit more well-rounded as a human being you wouldn't be exposed to that kind of level of fragility and i think there's a lot to be said for coaches there's a huge responsibility on coaches who coach junior lifters and i i signed up two sub junior lifters there during the week so i really two very competitive sub junior lifters now i must say um i must kind of re-emphasize the fact that like man this isn't your life and it should not be your Mm. life like if you want to go out and have a few pints do now I think they're they are old enough I think to do that but anyway you get the idea <laughs> I'm not encouraging underage drinking whatsoever or buying pints for your underage clients no I would never do that <laughs> no but it's you, you get what I mean it's like something that maybe is suboptimal short term but it's facilitating a better relationship with exercise and a better relationship with powerlifting as time goes on do you know what there was there's, there's more examples to my mind than I can fucking count of people who just kind of flew too close to the sun and just didn't give themselves a break and led themselves to the point where it has to be all or nothing and i've heard loads of people recently be like i'm giving up i'm not doing this anymore it's like you can take a break you can chill 
and you can it's always there like the gym is literally always there it's it's an inanimate set of objects that you can just go in and pick up whenever you want and I, I hear plenty of people be like, no, I'm not going to go for that hike there because I, I need to recover from my session on Monday. Or I, no, I won't go for a drink there because I need to get my fucking nine hours sleep and I need to get my 2,850 cal- Fucking relax. <laughs> Have a pint and chill. Or do whatever you want. Yep. Just fucking chill out. But I was saying, like, there is a huge responsibility on coaches because I, I've certainly felt it and... and I'm not going to put the label on you to say that you felt it, but when you get somebody to sign up and you're like, this person be fucking serious and they can compete on a national and international level, you want to push the fuck out of them and you want to give them more attention and you want to make them as successful as possible and to a selfish degree to, to better your own coaching practice. Do you know? Because having a gifted athlete has this kind of domino effect on sign-ups then because people see, let's say, I'm just going to use Ken for an example. I don't coach Ken, but Ken's a fucking animal. Now, Ken works extremely hard. I'm not taking that away from him. But I, I've often said if Ken went into the gym and went to the bathroom, he'd probably get stronger from it. <laughs> Do you know? But when people see that I coach Ken, they're like, geez, he must be a very good coach. Even though like probably any any coach, any, any coach that who has a good personable skills would work with Ken and they'd have some success having a good athlete has this like kind of domino effect and it's it's super easy to use that and kind of manipulate an athlete i'd say for your own success and it oftentimes can can lead to burnout in the athlete and can lead to a bad relationship with exercise for them or with food especially if you're offering a nutrition coaching service that's something to be super careful about it's you just need to take a step back and have the athletes interest at heart and i i know you said it there in terms of programming a non-specific block for a period of time yeah that may be suboptimal for their powerlifting performance or their powerlifting preparedness in the short term but if they want to chill and relax for a bit you're coaching the athlete as opposed to the total do you know and you alluded to this earlier on as well like the total is one thing in terms of success and training would you like to focus on a few others I'd actually go a step further and I'd say I'm coaching the person, not the athlete. Yeah. Like, I'd actually go a step further and I'd say that I'm actually coaching the person, not the athlete. Yeah. And so what but what does that look like? Then that's kind of, never mind marketing that. <laughs> because I know we had a conversation about this recently as well. Like, it's very, it's, there's a couple of things that you can readily market and it kind of leads down an unethical kind of route. But, but what are some other factors that you would then keep tabs on if that's an appropriate word it kind of looks like i guess like not treating somebody any different just because they have the potential to be fantastic it looks like treating them just like any other athlete with more average genetics because just because somebody has the potential to be fantastic at powerlifting doesn't mean that putting in what it takes for them to be fantastic at powerlifting is the best thing overall for their life like you really have to look at like what other priorities does that person have in their life and like how much would pursuing achieving like the top level of powerlifting like what cost would that have on those other things that they value and I guess like something I'm always trying to emphasize like with all of my clients like whether they're the on the more talented end of the spectrum or not is that you are a complex human being with multiple different values that are often conflicting and our job here is to find the best balance for you at any given point in time and I think as a coach when you happen to get landed with somebody who just has 
those genetics like as you said with Ken who could maybe go to the bathroom and still <laughs> get stronger because you, like this is something that you start to really realize when you when when you're a coach is like you see like a spectrum of like different genetic capabilities and you see a bunch of people who are you see exactly how hard everyone is working and you see that that produces different results in different people and when you start to realize that um you there is a natural inclination in powerlifting coaching I think for people to want to have superstar athletes because it draws attention to their coaching service and I would analogize this is that the right way to say it or yeah, an analogy? yeah let's run with it anyway and yeah. you can say analogous yeah. analogous is a word can you can you analogize yeah I suppose so okay I would make an analogy or I think this is analogous to um to body composition coaching where sometimes there is this desire to put out quite like extreme before and afters that show like a great deal of change body composition wise in quite a short period of time and while that's really good for business that's not necessarily the best thing for the people that you're coaching and I would say that pushing somebody to achieve like this dramatic improvement in total on this dramatic total full stop at the expense potentially of these other areas of their life that they might value is you prioritizing your coaching business over and above that individual even though you you may feel that like you're like oh well like I'm helping this person on their path to greatness but it's like is greatness in this one area really the thing that's going to give them the best life overall because I think like being the best at something is super over glorified like no one ever talks about the cost of that and when they do talk about the cost of that they glorify it as like this thing that's like really noble um but honestly I think the average person is better off being a generalist than being a specialist and we need to obviously I'm not saying we shouldn't be pushing our athletes we obviously need to like facilitate our athletes coming into contact with adversity in order for the sport to be something that actually helps them to develop as people to grow to become stronger mentally and to get satisfaction but it's like how far do you really have to take that in order for you to get that outcome in somebody psychologically and it's it's tough as well because like you're never well you and I are certainly never qualified enough to say I know you say you want this but you need this do you know like if somebody comes to you and says I want to be international I want to represent Ireland and you're kind of looking at maybe the, the progress of their training and you're looking at them and it's like yeah maybe that's not the thing to aim for bro like maybe maybe you should do some cardio or maybe you should not saying you should lose a bit of weight but like some people have their priorities mixed up I feel like for, for a variety of different reasons and you may want to train the person holistically and, and develop them and make them more well-rounded but they might come to you and say Raquel I'm paying you to make squat bench deadlift to go boom so you know yeah have I mean, you experienced that yeah like I'm, I'm I, I would say like I haven't experienced anyone like complaining or pushing back against my more holistic perspective and approach because I think it's very deeply embedded in how I market like I often think like I don't similarly with like gem pop clients who are looking for body composition change or like relationship with food work I, I never get somebody who's like I want to lose a stone in five weeks or anything like that because it's not part of my narrative on social media yeah. so I tend to be very oh no I don't want to use the word lucky but like I am grateful for the fact that I don't tend to encounter people who are misaligned with my perspective that much 
Um, but I do certainly have athletes who really want to improve and we've had to navigate the motivations and something that comes up a lot, especially for lifters who, similar to myself, score quite highly on like the neuroticism trait because like I'm th- this is the thing is like a lot of this perspective comes from my own personal journey as being somebody who's like highly competitive and who's always tried to push themselves like pretty far in like whatever they've pursued and as I've gotten older and I've like it's not my first rodeo and pushing myself really hard at something like I've realized that doing that at the expense of other areas of your life is not all that it's cracked up to be like I've achieved things in like school or in college or in other competitive activities and because I was so like so heavily focused on the result I often missed out on like experiences and milestones within that journey and something that's come up for me like a lot with lifters lately is just like trying to help them to stay present when it comes to their progress and I have this like analogy or like this like little thought experiment more so than an analogy that I try and bring them through which is imagining how many PRs you've actually got left for a lift so let's say if somebody's at um let's say if they're at 100 kg deadlift right now and like their lifetime deadlift that they have the genetic potential to reach like is 150 I know that that forget whether that's that's realistic I'm just trying to make the math easy for myself right how many 2.5 kg PRs does somebody have between 100 and 150? Connor, I'm going to make you do the math. Cause yeah, Jesus, I'm, don't. Like you're, I, the, you're the person who's uh, doing the technical office job. Uh, I do have a calculator here, so yeah, maybe do we can that. spare I'm not ourselves the embarrassment. You can guess, that. though. Um, so we're doing 50 kilo divided by 2.5, right? So that, guess, okay, you can guess how many, Connor? I hate this so much because my brain is automatically going 25, but that's certainly not the case. It's close enough. Fair enough, then I'll run with that. Jeff. It's 20, right? There you That's go. That's not there a lot, go, right? Like. That's not a lot. Like, how many lifters do you know? And like, okay, let's be a little bit more generous then. And let's say, like, they're currently no at hats. 100. No and they're going to get to 175. I think that's pretty realistic for a lot of people who are like been okay, doing powerlifting yeah. a little wee while. So 32. That's 30 PRs. Ah, fuck. That's 30. Are you doing this on purpose? No, no. no. <laughs> He's just fried after his his work as a, his 9 to 5, you know? Yes, yeah. Um, what was I going to say? But 30, 30 PRs, that's not that much, right? And we've all seen it where lifters are like, they're trying to, they're on the road to 110 and they're at 100 right now, right? And they're like, they get 102.5 and they're like, I'm not at 110 yet. And then, then they get 105 and they're like, I'm not at 110 yet. And they get 107.5 and they're like, I'm not at 110 yet. I'm like, yeah, yeah, mate, yeah, like, like you've just pissed away like four out of 30 of the PRs that you're going to get in your that's lifetime true, being true, frustrated yeah. that you're not further ahead than you are. And guess what? The next 10 kg is going to take you even longer and you're going to prolong your period of frustration and you're going to get like a millisecond of satisfaction from reaching like that 10 kg extra milestone. Because it's only going to go the same up. Yeah, logic yeah. applies, right? And it's only going to go up and it's only going to go up and like when I frame it to them like that and I'm like every PR is a gift because your body is decaying right now you're only getting worse over 25 and Connor that means both of us you're only getting worse from here on out unless of course you powerlift then you're probably going to get better until you're at least 45 sign up to Odyssey Strength (laughs) they have the elixir of youth there you go there's something that's that's a great point and it's kind of you could say PRs you could say wins it's whatever label you need to put on it but like find them where you can and relish them where you can because it's like you say it's they're they're hard to come by at a certain at a certain point but the, i want to bring something back because we we had talked a little bit about 
ethical marketing and marketing in in the fitness industry and you mentioned there that you you were quote unquote lucky you know you said you weren't really going to use that word you're lucky in terms of the signups that you got and how closely they kind of mirror your training philosophy and your values but i think that comes down to how you market yourself online or there's something you might want to call your personal brand and that you are lucky quote unquote lucky because you are authentic online and and i asked i asked a couple of the lads this it was after the may competition we went to the pub afterwards and I was asking a couple of the guys who were also coaches, like, I'm going to use them as an example. I was with Keen Robinson. I was like, why does somebody sign up to Keen Robinson to get coached? Like, sure, all the information is out there online. And I was with Adam Joy. I was like, why does somebody sign up to Adam Joy? And I kind of put the question on myself, like, why does somebody sign up to Conor Campbell as well? So it kind of speaks to the importance of being authentic online. Like, you're going to have some presence online whether you like it or not and whether you want to call it marketing or not whatever you like it doesn't matter but to be authentic i think is the way to go because if you use this kind of race to the bottom marketing as we always kind of talk about and you get a ton of leads and you can convert a couple of them that's great but if you're after promising them a service and a coach that isn't real or that isn't you that's just you're just going to lose it because you're just not compatible you know so that's that kind of speaks to the the admirability of of just being just being real and authentic and that's probably why you've had such great success with your clients and your client retention just seems fantastic am i right i suppose like a lot of my from the client retention standpoint i don't think they know other powerlifting coaches exist because i'm usually just i haven't had anyone who had another powerlifting coach before had like i think I've, i'm now getting some people who've had like a coach beforehand and yeah it's very interesting hearing their stories about their past coaches but like i suppose um but retention's always been pretty good but that i guess that's besides the point i guess what you're kind of asking me is like what is it about my social media that you think like draws in or that accurately portrays my perspective yeah i suppose i'll put that question on you and then any other kind of coaches or even myself listening will kind of maybe translate some of these lessons to our own kind of practices online because you, it, it's certainly on instagram you see it seems that the coaching sphere is to- totally saturated and everyone has their own tricks and everyone has canva and everyone has CapCut and does their reels and all this kind of shit and it's kind of like the only tool you have left is to just be yourself i yeah. suppose as, as cringe as that kind of sounds but that's just the fact of the matter like yeah yeah i suppose for me like the number one thing that i try and do with my content is i just try and share my own inner world and inner thoughts around training in a way that makes people feel less alone and how flawed that journey often is like Mm. i've spoken very openly about like falling out of love with training after like having a bad comp at last chance in um december 2022 and like the mindset shifts and mindset work that was required to like fall back in love with training again i'm really open about sharing like my fails my overshoots like showing that i'm a dumb meathead as well sometimes because i think that like it's really important when you're navigating those things with lifters that you're not coming from like a position of being high and mighty when i'm like i also put the wrong weight on the bar and fatigue myself in week two like failing bench like it's like obviously you don't want to be putting that up and like being like yeah this is a good thing to do but like you can put it up and like be like yeah this is why I did it probably shouldn't have done it and and make fun of yourself a little bit then they're more likely to be honest with you because they're like oh like she's also human totally yeah but I think that I'm me sharing my perspective and I suppose not always trying to show a highlight reel um makes people feel maybe 
more welcome in the sport and more like it could be something for them and I think as well something that I try and do is um when I'm sharing results I try and talk more about the journey of the lifter and like what obstacles they've had to navigate and like maybe the imperfections in their prep rather than just being like their total went up by like 10% like of course I do share those numbers as well but like I try not to make them like the main point of the post like I try and always highlight like for example like I had one lifter and he did Ramadan during a peak that was absolutely crazy it's like okay obviously his total improvement is cool but the coolest thing is he did Ramadan during the peak in my opinion because that's so grueling like a peak is already grueling enough um or like I had another lifter he had like a phenomenal first meet but more so than his numbers what stood out to me was the fact that he's like quite like an on the ball kind of person who like likes to take the boxes and get things right but he was having like the busiest most hectic period in work that he had ever had so he just had to accept some degree of imperfection which was probably quite a cognitive challenge for him and then on the day um he ended up like failing his or getting reds on his second attempt on both squat and on deadlift on a technicality but like he stayed calm and just backed himself to take the planned jump anyway and he fucking got it and like that to me is like so much cooler than like any like number ever could be it's just like seeing that person's like mental resilience like same thing like another lifter like had like a really scary fail and like was like had some like joint pain like afterwards and I was like do you want to keep going and she was like yeah I'm going to keep going I'm going to finish the competition and ended up like having some really cool wins and for me it's just like to keep going after that like that was the cool bit not the total PR um so I always try and like honor that and also in the coaching relationship I try and like really point this stuff out and be like I'm so proud of you because you could have made this choice but instead you made this choice and three months ago I think you would have made the other choice instead so that just goes to show how much you've grown as a person so that they're like anchoring their self-worth in in this process um to their character growth rather than to their total growth and their total growth is so I think a lot of people like are like oh like you should develop your character so your total develops and it's like no no you develop your total so your character develops do you know what I mean I've never heard that well people being like you know like you need to get like mentally stronger because like that's what's gonna like Oh right, push oh, you that yeah. bit further. I've do you know what I mean? That's what's going to allow you to that. push that bit further. Well, that's what I'm saying. Like, yeah. we're, <laughs> Odyssey are not on that side. Like, you guys are like very like similar in your perspective to coaching. I think that's why we all get along so well. I think so. Is because like we just like are so well aligned in terms of like what we believe about coaching. Like, I'm very much speaking to the choir here. Like, <laughs> telling you, you're just like nodding along, and you're like, yeah, I like, agree with all these all things. Trying all this. Why did I even have to bring this silly woman on? <laughs> <laughs> but no, it's and it, it like. I put up a, a Q&A, I think it was last week or the week before, no, it was, it was last week about um, horror stories for coaching, and the shit I heard was, was crazy, I was amazed that this kind of stuff still happens, you know, and I suppose, if nothing else, that's an important reason to be to be doing podcasts like this, and to meet with people in the in the gym, on the gym floor, I suppose, or, or in the, the warm-up room, and, and say, like, there, there's another way, like, you, you actually can, you can do this, like, I heard somebody say, during the week that oh I, I hate when my client says something like oh you're you're gonna give out to me if you if you when I when I tell you this and it kind of rang alarm bells like man none of my clients are saying that to me like what do you be saying to your clients so that they have this reaction this fear, like- but it's 
you you said as well honoring the experience and the growth of the athletes and taking some some less obvious lessons and wins from the day that's transferable across disciplines and across like even if in 10 years they're not powerlifting anymore and they're having a hard time at work they're having a hard time with the kids they can maybe draw back on words that you gave them said here look you could have done this and you did this instead i don't think you've always been like that so that's a real sign of growth and something to be proud and happy for like dropping to your knees with a heavy bar on your back and a, a crowd of people looking at you and you come out for your next attempt again like that takes that takes some guts like to be fair and so highlighting these things as opposed to yeah i, squ- I squatted 100 kilos like that's what matters and that's something you that's something you can take to the to the bank i suppose i know i i definitely agree with that way of going about it and i think i've been lacking in that myself so i must i must revisit that and any other kind of coach who's listening i feel like you should do the same but it's not something you need a coach for you know like if you can still take stock yourself as a lifter and find things to be grateful for and find things to be happy about whether you're currently competing whether you're you're not a powerlifter at all i think this this really is something that you can extend across disciplines and I, I i highly commend you for that it's mad yeah because it's, it's i know powerlifting sometimes still has the optics of not being super accepting do you think that's that's right see i'm in it i so i don't notice or care <laughs> not that i don't care but it's i wouldn't know whether it is accepting or not or we would see on a very micro level sure not a yeah we're all very accepting but that may not be what it's like or that may not be the the optics of the of the federation say or the sport in ireland yeah i I think that there's definitely like an old guard who are still very much like suck it up buttercup (laughs) um and like to be fair like you know sometimes you do need to help somebody become tougher but there's a a nice and a gentle and an actually helpful way to do that and if you're taking somebody who doesn't have an awful lot of mental resilience to begin with and you basically just tell them to stop being a little insert something here um (laughs) you know like it's just it's not really going to actually help them to develop that mental resilience yeah so i guess from an optics standpoint like i'm not sure like i definitely have seen that there is a more accepting side and there is a little bit more of like a rougher and the edges side um i think both exist i'm not sure what the overall optics is to an outsider though yeah it's it's tough on because online like you and i see probably every side of it online but another person may just see the comment section over the 84 kilo plus champion ipf world the comment section was a total dumpster fire it was fucking horrible like it, it'd be a real shame for somebody to be put off the sport when you see something like that do you know and it's it's you want it to be as inclusive as possible if nothing else because the health benefits that come from resistance training the health benefits that come from having a community of people and having a social life should be shared amongst everybody so it's i think the optics matter a ton but it's also very difficult to control, you know, and it's it's I think I was having a conversation about this during the week as well about the the no, I didn't I didn't have a conversation about it. I was listening to Ian's podcast with Adam on it. We're talking about the optics and rule changes in the IPF and how that relates to the growth of the sport. And I think there's something to be said or there's a conversation to be had about spectator growth and participant growth or the increasing the number of participants so it's 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 a tricky conversation but i think everyone has 
a little bit of a role to play in terms of the optics of a sport and it's kind of how you act on a day-to-day basis or how your gym acts or the kind of the message mm-hmm. that they put out or the marketing that they put out you know i think it's it's something to be very aware of i've had a bunch of people in the gym or a bunch of people at competitions that i don't know come up and say here look i, I love the podcast I, I started training because xyz and you're like oh shit i didn't I kind of forget that other people are are listening or that other people are watching. But when you put a post out on Instagram or when you interact with somebody at a competition, it may be off the cuff for you, but it could be the deciding factor in somebody starting this up. And if you put out a bad vibe or a bad energy Mm -hmm. or if you're being a dick, you know, that that could have serious impacts, you know. So, So maybe just keep in mind that you're representing your club and you're representing your sport and if if you go international you're representing your country you know so it's it's not something for you to take on solely alone but it's just something to keep in mind do you know 100 percent. yeah now i think we're gonna wrap it up because we're gonna get a little bit of training in hopefully please god traffic has calmed down raquel thanks for coming on we we had a rake of stuff there to touch. <laughs> that was a nice point. We must have you on again to chat about it because we'll just oh, we'll be inundated. 